spring is really upon us. It's much easier to move around, to do outdoor activities. And it's a good thing to check in to see if we have that same facility or ease of movement within the heart. Only you yourself can know if that's true or not. If there is that ease within, then you can rejoice and feel how to cultivate that. Scanning the body and seeing what are the points of tension. Finding the dis-ease in the heart is done not just by scanning the heart. Sometimes that's difficult to do. It can be obscured. We have discovered many ways, many strategies to disguise our emotional and psychic dis-ease from ourselves through denial or through stubbornness and not being able to look at it and just shelving it away conveniently or through lack of awareness. We're just not aware. We're not clear what we are feeling or we're too frightened to look and taste and see and feel what we are feeling. We develop many different disguises like someone working on their computer. You have something that you file away and then you don't bother to look at it again. Either it's something you don't want to look at or it's something that will take too long to look at. You don't have the time or you feel like you'd rather wait until the time when you're more ready. And then by the time that rolls along, you can't find it. It's so well tucked in, or, or you've encrypted it, and you forgot the password. <laughs> There's so many things that come between us and ourselves. Life, our opinions, other people's opinions, and then the different ideas that we have about our feelings. I should be feeling this. I should not be feeling this. Um, I don't want to be feeling this, but I am feeling this. I better not be feeling this. I'll get rid of this feeling. Or we use unskillful methods to deal with all that. So dis-ease cannot easily be detected if you took a stethoscope like a doctor and tried to feel the palpitation or the normal rhythm of breathing. That's how a doctor checks how we are. But for us to check our own inner condition is not that simple. However, one of the easy ways to know is through scanning the body. Often, the dis-ease in the heart has become so entrenched and encrusted it's like a barnacle. And there is an overspill into the physical ways that we hold ourselves that can help us to see, oh, there's a barnacle in there and it needs scraping off. If you're a sailor and your hull is covered with barnacles, you're not going to move smoothly through the water. You have a drag or a drift. <laughs> they hurt. It's not so easy to disengage them from the hull of the boat either. You have to wear protective gloves and gear. Well, the same for 
our disease of the heart. Even if through bodily disease we can detect, we need special gear to start disentangling ourselves. We need a safe, trusted environment. We need some reference point to reality to help us gauge what are we doing. How are we seeing this thing? How much denial is there? Having somebody else reflect it back to us. Sometimes we do this in counseling, psychotherapeutic meetings with a a trusted professional. Sometimes we do this just through talking to our friends. Sometimes we do it by sitting and listening to classical music and learning how to relax. We can do it through yoga. We can do it in many different ways. Jogging, sailing, going on a holiday. Although that can stress you out even more. (laughs) Another method, and a tried and true method, an ancient method, which doesn't only disengage the barnacle from the hull, it doesn't only give us a comfort level and a, a softening of tension physically, but it also helps us to understand the process of barnacle making. It helps us to understand how these encrustations get there in the first place and how to live a life that is not a constant process of finding out how much drag we have on our psychic and physical being and clearing it, wiping it free erasing, deleting, disengaging from, or letting go that stuff. So that we're not continuously in a conflict with things happening to us and finding ways to unload what's happened by using all these different emergency methods to help ourselves. It's just a way of living with more awareness and more consciousness so that we don't get into those kind of binds as much, as deeply, and for such long periods of time that the stuff hardens. It becomes so much a part of us that we find ourselves tied up with our pain, tied up with our burden, that we believe that the burden is what we are. And it isn't. So even if we were then to try to detect what's burden and what isn't, we would keep misidentifying, misdiagnosing, because we ourselves, the ego, is all bound up with what we're carrying. And then it's a pretty convoluted package. Many of us have that kind of condition. Now that's just what happens with life. So the practice that we do when we meet here together calls us, it summons us to take a good hard look at how we're living and rethink our lifestyle, our attitudes to ourselves, to each other, our choices, our values, our relationships, our very ethic in life. It's a way of looking at it with proper focus. Yesterday I went for an eye exam. The uh, optometrist 
has the equipment and there's the letters on the wall. We're invited to read what we see. And as I'm guessing, the bottom line. <laughs> One eye can see it and then when she asks me to shift to the other eye, I remember what it was. So I told her, I'm trying not to do this from memory. Because we're only cheating ourselves. I said, I always fail this. She said, you can't fail this. <laughs> we do this for our body. We're very careful. Make sure the eyes are okay. Get the heart checked out. We, we go for checkups. And as we get older, there are more and more things that we should be checking on regularly to make sure that we don't have cancerous polyps and all the rest of it. But we don't spend enough time diagnosing and regularly checking what we're carrying on psychically and emotionally. What is the burden? We don't brush, comb, wash, rinse, any of it. It just grows and grows and grows. And if we don't develop a worthwhile skill to deal with that, pretty soon we find ourselves getting depressed. Nowadays, there is much more depression than there ever was. And there's so many reasons for that. One of them is the whole change in the fabric of society, starting with the breakdown of the family unit. So that's what this whole practice of meditation is geared towards. It's What are we doing? Well, number one, we have our eyes shut. But in the process of shutting the external vision, we are doing just the converse of that, which is opening up the internal eye. It's very easy for us to walk around with the internal eyes blinkered, if not actually sealed shut. I don't have to see that. I'm not looking. But we need to look. I started out by saying one of the ways of looking is by seeing how we hold the body. So just as we sit in the chair, cast your mind's eye on your posture and realize, be aware of how you're sitting is just to be aware how many times a day do we hold an awareness of the body. In the awareness of your bodily posture, do you feel a tension anywhere? Just check and see where are you holding. Is your stomach tight? Throat? Back? Do you have tightness in the chest? Do you feel self-conscious, uncomfortable in any way. How many times in our lives do we sit and practice this kind of self-reflective awareness to see even how do you feel about being aware of your body? Is it uncomfortable? Let it register deeply and see is there a sense of discomfort about the way we are with ourselves physically. Like the body, don't like the body, feel at home in the body, 
don't feel at home in the body, where, to what extent, how does it manifest, what's going on. And if there is any flutter there, you don't have to tell anyone, but just know it, register it. Why am I sitting like this? Or, oh, there's no, no air going in. Are you breathing? That's a good one. You could even start there. Am I breathing? Am I alive? Is there breath flowing in and out through the body? And if we're not, if there's any flutter of any kind, then that's just exactly where we have to start working. For the mind to have this self-reflective faculty, practicing awareness is invaluable. It's impossible for us to be self-reflective if we're busy thinking about things around us, getting lost in memories, worries, anticipation, any kind of thinking in a time frame, past and future, about what's already happened, about what might happen, or about what's happening outside of ourselves, or what other people are thinking about us. These are all thoughts that prevent us from this self-reflective awareness. Let's go deeper into that self-reflective awareness by staying on the breath, stay completely connected to the breath, and move out of thought and thinking as much as possible because that's our default in life. And it does not lend itself to this process of inner cleansing and inner healing, which is life-giving, life-saving. It will help us navigate our boat and carry us across these turbulent seas to the stillness of the other shore. Awareness is, is a wonderful tool, a wonderful resource that is underused, underpromoted, definitely undervalued. Another thing that is very supportive for practice that I, I haven't talked about for a while is ethical awareness. It also means having commitment to moral wholeness, moral integrity. Most everyone, most of us, have some form of moral commitment or another. And all I ask is that we look at it again and review it and see to what extent we are able to stay true to ourselves, stay true to what we honor and value in little things. I remember many years ago, I was with a friend in a shop and she bought something and when we were going out, she counted her change and she said, oh, they gave me more than I was supposed to get and she was happy. And I said, did you consider returning it? It bothered her. She wasn't comfortable. And she made a decision that from now on, if I get paid back too much, I'm going to return it. It's a very small thing. And we might think that we're not hurting anyone. After all, it's a big store and they'll never notice. The ego will find many ways to rationalize that. But our integrity 
is disturbed by that because it isn't right. It just isn't right. If we have a small child with us, our little five-year-old daughter or granddaughter, would we do it in front of that child? Is that what we want to teach our loved ones? Then why do we do it when no one else is watching? In the workplace, well, sometimes there's not a strong monitoring of the telephone use. So you make a long-distance call and you think, well, company will just absorb that. There are many things that we might do which don't feel wrong or harmful to anyone. But essentially, we are harming ourselves because we're practicing dishonesty. Even if it's a very trivial, you might think it's a trivial level, you're still flexing that muscle. You think, well, it's not harmful, so it wouldn't count. But it does count. Why? Because we're practicing to the highest level that we can. We're being so careful with our virtue, we're holding it as if it's the most precious thing we own that is what really makes us shine. We're constantly polishing it. If you want to be meticulous and absolutely scrupulous, then you take care of these seemingly minor areas, brushing up our virtue, polishing it up, so that we shine from within. Now you might wonder, what does this have to do with awareness? What does this have to do with being in the present moment? Well, it has a lot to do with that. However much we are shiny because of the way we hold our commitment to moral integrity, ethical uprightness, in every possible situation, as much as we do that, that's much more a resource for our energy field when we're sitting down to be present. Truthfulness with ourselves is the basis of our ability to be aware of how we are inside. To be able to see and face how we are with ourselves. Those are little moments that we actually think we can just brush to one side. They don't count. And that includes all the little lies that give us advantage in various kinds of situations. Or using information that doesn't belong to us. And it hurts somebody else. That abuse of energy weakens us morally. And then weakens our ability to use the purity of our awareness to reintegrate into this body-mind process with no shame, with no regret, without having to hold anything back because we're embarrassed to see what we did, what we said, what we think, how we spend our time, how we've treated someone, or how we've treated ourselves. Let's be really honest and go deeply into the committee of voices that rails against ourselves now or in the past. I'm no good. Why do I say that? Oh, I've done it again. There's a lot of self-blame in there. There's a very strong connection between moral integrity and our ability to be present and aware and 
reintegrate as a human being so that consciousness works for us as an ally and gives us the strength to be present for others as well, present in ways of forgiveness and mercy, a joyful compassion, a strong ability to witness others' pain, others' self-blame. If we can do it for ourselves, how much better we can do it for each other. When we come to volunteer at hospice, we gain that strength and we do it incrementally in small breaths that are half asleep but still enough aware in small stands for what's true rather than for what's not worthy. Not true. And that's what nature does too. This is a way to follow the truest part of nature. See what nature does with dead things. It tosses them out. It washes them away. Why do we hold on to impure things that are dead and burdensome and that only deaden us to what's true and alive and awake in us? Thank you for your attention. Thank you. Thank you.